Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to a special edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Jonathan Northcroft of the Sunday Times, and Darren Lewis of the Daily Mirror. Let's be honest, we'll all be glad to see the back of 2020. Football has survived after a fashion, it's been played in a void, largely without fans, and occasionally without logic. But here we are, another year to assess in sickness and in wealth. Ten sections starting with our Player of the Year. Mine is Marcus Rashford. He's bigger than Manchester United, bigger than football. A working class hero, an inspiration for a generation of athlete activists. By focusing on the obscenity of childhood hunger, he became a beacon of hope. What about you, Darren? I would tend to agree. I, I think that if you're talking about off the pitch and the circumstances of the kids' lives that he's managed to change, the people that he's woken up to the issue of child poverty, the politicians that he's refused to allow to ruffle his hair and patronise him, his social media use, which has held people to account in a really inoffensive way. He, he is a template for the modern day activist in terms of how to use your platform, the power of your platform to change lives way beyond the football. I'd give an honourable mention to Sterling, that Newsnight interview he gave, stepping out of the football vacuum to actually expose football's dirty little secret on on, on race and, and the issues all around it was, was a masterstroke. In footballing terms, I would, I would have gone for Van Dijk if he was still playing. But Sadio Mane last season was outstanding and he's carried that form into this season as well. And so on the pitch, it would be Mane, but off the pitch, definitely Rashford. What about you, Johnny? Oh, look, I mean, I, I think you've, you've both put your finger on it really with, with Marcus Rashford in, in terms of, he's, I think he's Britain's man of the year, let alone footballer of, of the year. He's he's changed the, the 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 game in terms of 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 what a young not just young footballer but a young famous person can and should be doing with the platform that they've got. He's 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 given he's held the government to account. He's 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 he's, he's fed children. I mean, I, it's unbelievable to be sitting at the end of a year saying that the the the, the person that's the most to feed the nation's hungry children is a footballer. But he's 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 he, he is such a sincere intelligent apolitical 
your goodness oozes out of Marcus Rashford. That I think it, it's funny. I, I I think we all feel almost proud to be associated with a game that that that, that he is in. He should have been Sports Personality of the Year. And Dan rightly mentions Raheem Sterling, who. I think is Marcus's forebearer in terms of showing how athletes should be able to use their platform to, to to speak out about really important things in life that they 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 feel about and and Raheem's courage is something that's been sustained for a number of years and the Newsnight interview was was um, you know outstanding spine tingling and and he's led the way and 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 taken a lot of a lot of negativity on social media and otherwise for doing so and I totally admire his courage and if we're just talking on the pitch very quickly you know just on 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 kind of on-field things and both of those have actually performed really well anyway but I'd say Jack Grealish just for somebody if we're talking about someone's journey over a year at the start of 2020 he was you know, in a very strug- very much a struggling team and somebody we wondered, is he a talent that, that has been a bit overhyped, can't really do it at this top level? A year on, he's the most watchable player in the Premier League. He's one of the best players in the Premier League. He should be a, a, a cert for England. He is full of leadership, skill, talent, and has, 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 has pulled his club and himself into a completely different situation now than, than a year ago. And, and I can't think of anyone who's who's progressed quite as much over a year as Jack Grealish has. Yeah. If we look at young player of 2020, I'd go actually for a young player who has been influenced again by Marcus Rashford. That's Rhys James of Chelsea. Um, he has almost mirrored Rashford's social conscience. He's very involved with charities you know, similar on the long similar lines, but as a footballer as well, he, you know, we all were wondering about Chelsea and that defence, and we were also wondering whether uh, someone like Rhys James, a very very positive player, could actually basically do the business in a defensive sense. Now, okay, there might be moments that he can be caught out, but I think his improvement has been really marked, and I thought it was very significant that. He made almost an instant impact with England. I think that we've got a great generation of young players and Rhys James is at the forefront of that generation. What about you, um, Darren? Well, I, I, I'm not going to agree with everything that you've said, but I do agree <laughs> I promise I haven't been looking over your shoulder. Um, but I think Rhys James's crossing ability is outstanding. And I think defensively he's very strong. But going forward, his ability to deliver a ball onto the head of players waiting for him in the box is just so good. And you can understand why he is playing, in some cases, ahead of the more experienced as uh, as Pilicueta, because he is just such a talent. And he demands a place in the first-team lineup. And you can see him playing regular first-team football with England and, and, you know, that right-back position is very, very competitive, of course, with Kieran Trippi and Carl Walker and Aaron Wembisaka as well. And yet, Rhys James could hold his own because he is just such a fine prospect. And that's all, at the moment, that's all he is. But at the same time, he is playing regular first-team football and he has Chelsea fans excited and he should have England fans excited as well. 
Okay, Johnny, can you ruin our loving, please? Can you choose someone else? <laughs> I'm, 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 well, it's a brilliant selection, but I'm going to choose another right back, actually, just to, just to be contrary. Look, I'm going to go for Trent Alexander-Arnold, and you're going to go, oh, he's not a young player, but he's, he's, he, we, I, I, I say it because we forget how young he is and because he's been one of the outstanding footballers in the country, a leader as well as a, a, a fabulous performer and pivotal to Liverpool regaining that title. And he astonishes me as a person and, and in terms of his, his footballing maturity at the age of 22. I wouldn't deny that Rhys James is also a good selection. And England, have, like Scotland at left back, are, are doing all right in that position. <laughs> OK, Darren, I'll give you first dibs at the next one then so I can tell you what a great choice you've made. A breakthrough player of 2020. I've got to be Mason Greenwood because I, I think from the first time I saw him, I was hugely impressed. Devastating shot selection. He is a player that when he played, I know he's had issues this calendar year. And to be honest with you, I, I'm willing to put them all to one side because he's a young man growing up at a big club in, in a sport which is at times a goldfish bowl. So uh, I, I'm putting them to one side. I'm talking about his talent. And every time I saw him last season, I was so hugely impressed. Solskjaer, I've been critical of him in the past, but I think his handling of Greenwood has just been so good. To nurture him, to put an arm around him, to give him his head when it's demanded it. His figures at one stage last season for a 17-year-old were comparable with Brian Kidd and George Best which was just ludicrous. But he is that bigger talent. And I think in the coming years, he is going to be a massive player for Manchester United. Yeah, well, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to go for Jude Bellingham. About three or four years ago, I was researching a book and this name kept cropping up. You know, your usual stuff that we hear, oh, he's the new Wayne Rooney. You know, you will, he will blow your socks off. And he was very well looked after by his family, good character. Birmingham's academy really impressed me at that particular moment. Uh, Christian Speakman, who had a key role in Bellingham's development as now at Sunderland, he's only 17. He's gone into the Bundesliga to the manor born. He's made his England debut and he's done it by basically maintaining a very measured, grounded approach to life. And at that age, given what's happened to him, it would have been very easy for his brain to completely short circuit. Great credit to his family and his football club. What about you, um, Johnny? Well, good selections. I thought about Bellingham. I thought about Greenwood. I thought about Bukayo Saka, actually. But um, I think I, I think I have to go for David Marshall. Um, <laughs> well, look, he spent eight, he spent eighteen years serving his apprenticeship, broke through at the age of thirty-five this year. I just think, you know, it's a fabulous story. But his contribution to Scotland reaching the Euros as a as a Scot, you know, we get we're so used to snatching defeat from the jaws of victory and losing our bottle just at the vital moment. So to have a goalie who in a penalty shootout, grows another two feet and is in command and in charge, who saw us through against Israel in the shootout and then did the same against Serbia and, and, and you know, the celebration or, or rather the aftermath where he saved Mitrovic's penalty 
looked straight to the the VAR just to see if he was all right. A man with his wits completely about him, you know, thinking of all the permutations, pulling it off. He's a he's a damn fine goalkeeper, and and yeah, he's probably having the best moment of his career at the age of thirty five, which is which is wonderful. We've been waiting a long time to break through, and so has he. But he's my uh, he's definitely my selection. More evidence of Scotland's youth policy. <laughs> what about the the most memorable moment? I'll I'll start if I may with the with the death of Diego Maradona. We all know about him as a footballer. You can have your opinion wh- whether he's the greatest ever. We've actually probably done that debate. I just want to actually dwell, and I hope the listeners will will excuse me on this on on the quality of writing that there was produced very quickly on on that occasion. I thought it was spectacular. The one writer who really brought it home to me was Maradona's teammate, Jorge Valdano. It's not fair sometimes in life. He has played up front for Argentina in two World Cups. He's played for and managed Real Madrid. Yet when it came to it, he wrote like a poet and with the incision of a surgeon. It was fantastic stuff. I would recommend reading it. But for me, in its saddest sense, uh, Maradona's death was the most memorable moment of the year. What do you think, Darren? Well, it was a a huge moment in time, football-wise. And and I agree with you. The news broke on that day around about six o'clock on a match night. And as we all know, that time of the evening, you know, it's a nightmare for our production teams across Fleet Street to change things. And yet the speed with which they ripped the pages up, changed them, got people to write five, six hundred words, a thousand in some cases. It was just magnificent. I agree. I do have a couple of other contenders, though, one of which was the players taking a knee in the first match after the lockdown. I thought that was an electrifying moment. No one had predicted it. No one had seen it coming. But I think, for me, the most memorable moment, I think, will probably be iconic in years to come was the players walking off the pitch in the PSG Basaksha here game because mm. I think it will change the game. I, I think it was the moment that football drew a line over the sand over an issue where it's been far too complacent for far too long. And it was a moment where footballers said, the game is no longer in control of what happens now. We are. And to see Kimpembe and massive players like Kylian Mbappe saying, what happened? And they weren't even clear about it. All they knew was that the opposition players were unhappy about something that was said, and that was enough. And that was the sign finally in our sport that zero tolerance for the players finally does mean zero tolerance. It's a massive, massive moment in our industry. Yeah, I thought that was football's Tommy Smith moment. Johnny, anything else that you'd like to add in that particular area? Oh, great. I mean, look, I, mean, I can't really contradict those selections. Maradona leaves a huge hole in, in our lives. And I, I think, I, you know, I remember where I was when I heard the news and it'll be one of those. You remember that was the year we lost Diego when you think back to 2020. In terms of a single, like a moment that, an intake, a breath moment, I agree with Darren, the, the, the taking of the knee before Villa Sheffield United was was that moment you know, spine tingling and pivotal. And Basak Sashir and 
can't, can't say the name. I've, I've played so many times, but 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 again, that's a, that's a game changer. In terms of ones I witnessed personally, I wasn't at the stadium for either of those in in those two instances. I think actually, just from a football match, would be Dembele's goal hitting the back of the net against Manchester City in City v Leon. I just found that a stupefying game. How Guardiola and Manchester City managed to blow the potential winning or at least getting to the Champions League final from 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 where they were. That whole game was weird and just uh, something I'll, I'll, I'll I can pick, I'll be able to picture that whole game for forever because it was it was just bizarre watching it in front of you and and when that ball hit the net and you knew City were cooked finally it, it was it was just yeah as a football moment stupefying yeah for me the best game of of 2020 was was Manchester United 1 Spurs 6 that had the lot you know the Mourinho narrative the shock value of it all the goals and what I loved about it, it was basically a 90-odd minute morality play, wasn't it? Manchester United, their corporate comfort, they are basically everything that we've talked about with Manchester United was supremely relevant that day. You've got absentee owners taking out billions. You've still got a club held hostage by business, and that can't be right. Now I'm off my pulpit, Darren. What, what, what's what's your uh, best game? Barcelona two, Bayern Munich eight. I, I think that was just a result and a performance from both teams that sent shockwaves around world football. It was just an incredible story, an incredible match. Some of the goals are incredible, and you just knew that the fallout was going to result in not just the manager but some players leaving the club which ultimately as we know turned out to be the case it was it was another one of those remember where you were moments when when it happened because there there have been some big games big matches obviously Liverpool beating Chelsea to win the title that was a thrilling match and and Aston Villa Liverpool seven Liverpool two was probably an underrated upset given that you know Villa were back in their second season and Liverpool were defending champions it was a seismic result in many respects but Barcelona to Bayern Munich eight just incredible absolutely incredible yeah there have been some weird score lines flying around I mean it's been like sort of 1962 on repeat what caught your eye well I'm gonna go for another Liverpool defeat actually nothing personal Liverpool but Watford three Liverpool nil back in February you had this invincible team on you know just unbeatable on on the brink of maybe creating the best ever run in in British history and you had a team that was at the bottom of the league struggling manager come out of nowhere to to get the job who who two months before had been due to be on a tuk-tuk traveling India on on, on holiday because he thought he was so far out of the game but a very underrated and very good manager Nigel Pearson who was treated bad so badly and Watford just tore them apart. You know, uh, uh, the full Vicarage Road, which is a great stadium in, in, in full cry, just destroyed this great Liverpool team. And it was a thrilling game. It was fantastic for Nigel Pearson. And I just chose it because if there's anything that sums the Premier League up that makes it distinct and different to other football leagues, it's its ability of the, the top team to go to the bottom team and get destroyed on a given day because that is what makes English football 
that's what makes it different. That's what makes every game difficult. And that's what makes it the hardest champion to, championship to win. And it was a brief moment for Watford, but it was one that was this, you know, magical in the stadium that day. Okay, staying with you then, Johnny. Your best signing of 2020? I like signings that are... They're not fantasy signings. They're they're signings that are just the the exact player that a team needs at the exact time. And I'd say Ruben Diaz is a candidate. We mentioned John Stones, but, you know, City needed a defender and got Ruben. Ruben Diaz is a tremendous player. Hoiberg's the same, a game-changing signing, a Mourinho signing. Diogo Jota to to get the the replacement or the 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 new side the new forward when they did. But the one I'm going to choose is Edward Mendy at, at Chelsea, not the goalkeeper everyone expected them to sign, but the problem position that they had, and you know they backed Petacek's judgment. He's a tremendous. He's, he's just he's just transformed how they defend. He's transformed that team and what was he 20 million pounds and he's in his late 20s he, you know the opposite type of signing to Kepa Arazabalaga fabulous goalkeeper brilliant bit of business what about you Darren? Mendy was absolutely on my shortlist not just because he solves the problem for Chelsea but also because of his backstory as well you know he almost gave up the game didn't he he'd had so many knockbacks earlier in his career but he's obviously at, at the big time I like Hoiberg as well because a lot of people were extremely underwhelmed when he signed for Spurs, and he's changed a lot of minds. He's not particularly flashy. He doesn't have the superstar value of a lot of of the other value signings, but he's done a tremendous job and changed minds. But I really do like Lamptey because I think, to to quote Paul Haywood, actually, I, I, I can't remember the last player that put a zero next to his value as quickly as Lampy has and I can't really put it better than that there is a joy about watching Tarek Lampy play gambling down the right hand side as if he's playing in the park he's so small he's so slight and yet he's so effective defensively he provides an attacking outlet going forward he's got so much pace I liken him to Bukayo Saka who I probably would have have rivaling Mason Greenwood as the young player of the year but Lamptey is just a wonderful footballer to watch, to enjoy watching. Yep, I'll return the compliment there, uh, Darren. I, I would agree with you on Lamptey. Three million pounds in the last day of the January window. Sensational piece of business and foresight by Brighton. They do need to start scoring a few goals, otherwise they're going to be in in real strife. But um, I like the way that that club is developing in terms of almost an holistic approach to the game. In terms of manager of the of, of the year, I'm going to go a bit left field and a bit provincial. I'm going to go for Ralph Hassenhuttle at Southampton. We know, don't we, and we've talked about it endlessly, the way that managers are dispensed with too early. Now, that infamous 9-0, he could have been out of the door the next day at other clubs. They stayed with him. They stayed with the, with the plan, the strategy working. And the great thing about his team is that it's a team without obvious stars, but with a real collective ethos and effort. And I think he's done a fantastic job. And he's probably the next big top four, top six manager waiting to go to another club. Your manager, uh, Johnny? 
Ah, look, I think I have to go for the obvious. And by the way, Hasselhoff was a great selection, but I have to go with the obvious, which is Jurgen Klopp, to break the spell and to win that title for Liverpool was 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 groundbreaking, historic. He did it on the back of winning the European Cup the year before and reaching the Champions League final the year before that. This has been an incredible period of sustained achievement, which I think will continue this year with another title. They're getting stronger just at the right point of the season. And what you notice about Liverpool is how good the culture is. They can lose people like Van Dijk to injury or Thiago Alcantara or, or, or Jota and someone else comes forward and does it for them. Fabinho in defence, Curtis Jones emerging in midfield. He backs players. Roberto Firmino, for example, who so many people were saying should should be out of the team, backs him, comes back with, with, with goals when they're needed. Uh, they're the best coached and, and best oriented club in the Premier League and... and you know, we, that, old, that old cliche about building a dynasty, we always like to say, oh, is he going to build a dynasty now? I've never, never quite been sure what that actually means, but it's a great journalistic phrase. But I think it means what Klopp is doing at Liverpool, which is creating something powerful and sustained. Okay. What about you, uh, Darren? I'm going to go with, um, and I thought you were going to pinch him off me, actually, Johnny, but I'm going to go with David Moyes. He took a toxic West Ham. And he's turned him into one of the toughest teams to beat in the Premier League. And the biggest compliment you could give to his work is that I would imagine there were lots of banners that were ready for the season protesting against the owners stuck on the floor of spare rooms up and down East London because he's got them playing good football. He's bought well in the transfer market. Kufal at £5.4 million from Slavia Prague with an outstanding signing. Suchek, they managed to get in January's so good. Mourinho describes him as Moyes' new Fellaini. Jared Bowen, he's turned into a really good, effective, hard worker on the right side. Antonio, he's turned into a, a really strong, sort of visionary forward. And he's just changed the culture of the club. They're harder to beat. The flair players that don't work are out of the side. I, I think he's in line for a new contract. And not only has he done all that, that for West Ham, but he's also, in my opinion, changed his own perception. Because I think people looked at him as somebody who was possibly done. After all the work he'd done at Everton, he went to Man United, it didn't work out. Sociedad didn't work out. Brief spell at Sunderland, that didn't work out. And I think people felt he was done. So he needed it to work at West Ham for him. And and the biggest compliment you could give West Ham now is that they look like his Everton side when they were really doing the business you know they're, they're strong they're resilient they're hard working and it, it when West Ham decided not to give him a longer term deal after he'd kept them up and went for Pellegrini instead he's forced them to eat their words too he's done so much in such a short space of time that for me yeah absolutely I, I know Klopp's done great things and all of the big managers and whatnot but for a guy who's churned his image the club's image some of the players' image around and and, and is bringing a, a what had been a toxic fan base together. Yeah, absolutely, David Moyes. Yeah, you speak of toxicity, Darren. My biggest disappointment is actually Arsenal, which is a pretty toxic place at the moment. It's a club rotting from the head downwards. You've got an absentee owner, Stan Kroenke, who doesn't really appear to care about the culture or understand it. 
inexperienced people making decisions. Bafflingly, they basically obliterated their scouting network. They're worshipping at the feet of a so-called super agent. You've got players who've been isolated, ostracised. It's a mess. And when you've got that, plus a couldn't-care-less type of approach, it's going to be an absolute car crash. What about you in terms of biggest disappointment, Johnny? I think it has to be the moment Matt Hancock decided to call out footballers and football for being somehow the 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 epitome of everything that was wrong in the middle of, of a pandemic and, and saying that, you know, it's time for footballers to step up and do more. Aside from the baffling leap of logic that, that footballers had anything to do with that situation, it spoke of a, a government attitude towards the game that I think has, has continued to damage football as seen by the the confusion and then lack of, of, of sympathy shown towards helping fans get back into into stadiums to the lack of a rescue package for grassroots football and, and for smaller clubs when, when other, let's say, more sports more friendly to the demographic that, that, that the government ministers might come from have um, have been have been favored i thought it was a, it, it was a it was a grim moment it was a moment that caused a lot of anger in the game and it still makes me angry to think that a couple of weeks into a pandemic a government health minister can stand up and start warbling about footballers needing to do their bit and turning it onto the, the game really really disappointing yeah your disappointment darren well, I mean, I, I do share your your one with Arsenal because I think I, for a long time on your podcasts, I've been talking about how impressed I've been with Arteta and how, you know, he had the communication skills and the authority. I'm always wary of talking about the communication skills of somebody who can speak several languages in in Unai Emery. So, Brent, maybe I should withdraw that comment if the speaker will permit me. But I, I think that it certainly exuded more authority than Emery ever did when he was at the club and he was disciplined and the tactics were all spot on last season and I've been raving about him ever since and and yet this season has disintegrated but the one I'm going to go for is is the FA and and here's the reason not to take a a cheap shot at them I would have thought when so many industries and organizations have looked at the the period after George Floyd and realised that they had to look at themselves, change their structures, talk to the demographic of people that had been crying out for help, for representation. The FA at the top of the game remains the same and it still doesn't serve the third of black players in the industry who have been crying out for help for a long time. And I thought when Sterling went on to Newsnight, in what I saw as an attempt to reach a different demographic, the kind of people that maybe could shame football, if you like, into changing the effort. We, we get to December and there's still no move really to change things at the top. There are diversity schemes and diversity codes, but we've seen them all before, to be frank. What we need is change at the top, representation at the top, so that when a player, as Sterling says, looks at the top of the game they see somebody who represents them and we don't see that right now in our game and that's my big disappointment because I know there are lots of good people who work at the FA but none of them 
uh, uh, you know that that we just don't have that representation at the top that other sports do. Yeah, well said, both of you. Two more sections to go. I'm going to be very brief on both of those. Best tactical trend. For me, it's Chelsea playing N'Golo Kante in his proper position. It's amazing what happens when you play the best defensive midfield player in front of a defence. Fantastic. What's your tactical um, insight, uh, Johnny? <laughs> I like that one, Mike. I think I think it's what Mourinho's done with, with Harry Kane and Son, which again is pretty simple, but you've got uh, just an unbelievable counter-attacking weapon in, in, in Son who is, is lethal with his movement intelligence running through and you've got a player as as as, as good at the number 10 role as, as as Harry Kane and I think what 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 Mourinho's done which was you know spoke to spoke to Kane about this as, as, as a group of Sundays earlier in the, in the season and he made the point that before you know he's always been allowed to drop deep but but when he dropped deep before he maybe under Pochettino he'd he'd find the area congested and and people like Son like dropping deep and Mourinho just simplified it and said look if Harry's coming back you guys run forward if you guys go back Harry runs forward not difficult but it's given a bit of clarity it's allowed that partnership to to blossom and now when Harry drops onto the ball he's got Son and and um Bergwijn or, or whoever else running forward, he can find them with those passes. The assist record between the two of them is is crazy, and even yesterday in a in a poor defeat, you could still see the the link play there, and it's it it, it it's um, testament to Jose's experience as a manager to to just make that tweak. Okay, Darren, the um, uh, salt and pepper pots are yours now. <laughs> uh, this one's going to be very straightforward. I I think that. The tactical trend I've enjoyed most is the re- return to 4-4-2. Southampton play it with Che Adams and Danny Ings up front. Leicester and Spurs played it yesterday uh, when Mourinho decided to go man for man with Brendan Rodgers. And I just think it's very simple. I love seeing wide, well, you know, a good wing play. I love seeing the interplay between two good front men. I, I, I just enjoy it. It makes football sometimes we can overcomplicate it, can't we? And and so I like that return back to basics. Yeah, talking of something from twenty twenty, you'd want to leave behind. What about you, Darren? What what would you quite happily consign to history? Well, to be fair, I've like been this. I've had a bit between my teeth with this one, and I could bore you with it for ages. But I'll just give you the abridged version: the ludicrous rule that if a player is offside, the phase of play is played out before the flag is raised. So players end up expending energy needlessly and hopes and all those sort of expectations get raised or, or dashed when we could just revert back to the old days when if somebody was offside when the ball was played to them, the linesman or assistant referee raised his flag and, and we all basically you know restarted the game. It sounds so much like common sense, but of course we do find ways to overcook a very simple game that make your hair fall out here here what's been driving you nuts johnny it's how var has has tried to ch- or has, is managing to change the subjective into the the objective or the factual we've had a game for 150 years almost where it's a contact sport and there's been an arbiter on the pitch who's had to decide whether contact is significant or not and VR has taken that away and has tried to make it a matter of fact, is there 
a physical touch between two players? If so, it is a foul in the, in the, in the case of penalties. So we're now seeing penalties given when somebody's foot brushes another player's foot away from the ball. The man on the pitch, the referee, who's 10 yards away, 10 feet away, is the one place to decide whether that contact is of any significance, impedes the player in any way whatsoever, and that's what that's what has been happening for decades. Nobody, nobody, when VA come in, nobody said there's a lot of touches going on in the penalty area that we need to sort out and get penalties from. Nobody mentioned this. This is a mission creep of VAR. It drives me mad every time there's a penalty given for for a brush because it always in the, in the minute it goes to the monitor, you know it's just going to come down to did somebody's knee touch another person's body? If so, it's a penalty. Is it? I honestly don't know, and that probably brings me to to, to my. Uh, you know, I, I would love to leave behind the revised handball law, whatever that is, because frankly, I've not got a clue. There's been a lot to forget about 2020, but at least there's a lot to look forward to. So, thanks to Darren and Johnny for their thoughts. We send our best wishes to you for 2021. And our thanks for listening to us all year on the Football Writers Podcast. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.